It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Alec trying to steer around, picked off, centered, they score! Feather back over to Manny, splits the defense, his shot, he scores! Back in his own end there was Shillington, on collision, VL, centering feed, they score! This is CUDA Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Sharks AHL affiliate, the San Jose Barracuda. Here are your hosts, Nick Nolenberger and Joey Goldstein. Hello, Barracuda fans. Nick Nolenberger here, and this is your Barracuda Weekly Roundup. The Barracuda returned back to the friendly confines of the SAP Center on Wednesday night for the first game of a four-game homestand as the Ontario Reign made their return back to the tank. After picking up a 5-4 win on Saturday in Tucson against the Pacific Division's top team, the Tucson Roadrunners, the Barracuda carried that momentum into Wednesday's matchup scoring three times in the opening period, adding a franchise-high five goals in the second, and capping off a 9-0 victory with another goal in the third. Joachim Blickfeld rejoined the Barracuda lineup just prior to Wednesday's game and made his presence felt almost immediately, netting his team-leading 12th and 13th goals of the season. To kick off the second period, after the Barracuda found Pater three times in the first, Blickfeld got it started just 57 seconds in to the middle frame. Give it along for Gambrell atop the dot. Return back up high, Blickfeld. Midpoint Carrick back over Blickfeld. Works to the right circle. Rashad scored! Power play goal! Blickfeld, welcome back to the lineup. Then at 3.52, he would add another one. And here comes San Jose, an on-man rush, Blickfeld, far side, winning it out, wrist shot just over the net, it was Lukas Radil. Now another chance, Blickfeld, scored! Oh my, Yoakam Blickfeld tips it home on the back door, and the Barracuda with a commanding 5-0 lead. After scoring twice in the victory on Saturday, Jaden Holbgawax continued his tear, lighting the lamp again on Wednesday for his 12th of the season and played seven games up top of the LA Kings. It has not worked out that way so far this season for Sheldon Rumpel. Here's a chance, make it six nothing. It's gonna be Jaden Hobgawax who joins the party. At 15.07, Sasha Shemaleski would find Pater with his sixth, and then Dylan Gambrell would cap off the five goal second with his first of the year in the AHL at 16.25. Took him about a half a year to really get comfortable. Once he did, he took off. Here's Gambrell. Backhander scored! Dylan Gambrell! It's 8-0 Barracuda. And Gambrell's got his first of the year. In the third period, Jeff Yell would score San Jose's ninth goal as Zachary Sachenko made 24 saves in route to his second straight win and his first AHL shutout. Sachenko spoke to the media following the victory. Yeah, I felt good. I think that's uh, that's a testament to this team. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that uh, that PK in the first, but you know, there's guys buying in. You know, Martin uh, Martin Ferks got a pretty good shot, and guys are just you know sacrificing the body. And, and when you got guys doing like that, just not uh, not thinking about long term, but thinking about in the moment and trying to block shots. And you know, that's that's a special group right there. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that, uh, that I take from that is if, if you got a two-minute five-on-three, you know, that's going to be a turning point in the game. It's either going to be building momentum for you or taking momentum away, right? So that was uh, lucky enough for us. It was a one-nothing game. We ended up killing it off, and then a couple minutes later, we made it three-nothing, right? So it, uh, that was a huge kill for us. I think that was a turning point in the game, and as early as it was, you know, it, uh, it's a special group right there. I think the biggest thing is when you're called upon, you got to do your job, right? If i got to face 45, i got to face 24, you know, at the end of the day, my job is to stop the puck, and guys are supposed to score and you know we, we all got our job to do we all got uh, roles we're assigned to right and that's that's the biggest thing obviously it, it's easier to get into a game when, when you're facing a lot more rubber right but at the end of the day you gotta stop the puck whether you face 24 or 45. Wednesday was the third time in franchise history in which the Barracuda scored nine goals in a game and the second time this season against Ontario. The 9-0 win matched the largest winning margin in franchise history as the Barracuda beat the Colorado Eagles on March 17th of 2019 at the SAP Center by a score of 9-0 as well. In the victory, nine different players had multiple points as Joachim Blickfeld was the only skater with multiple goals and the shutout win was San Jose's third of the season and first since October. On Saturday, the Barracuda continued their four-game homestand with the seventh matchup on the season series with the Stockton Heat. San Jose was looking to pick up wins in three straight games for the first time this season while also looking to claim their first victory against the Stockton Heat. But the Heat will put their top power play unit on the ice late in the opening period for the first time in the game and take a 1-0 lead on a one-timer off the left flank by Alan Quine. There's a wrist shot blocked by Malash. San Jose going to try to get to this intermission scoreless, but Stockton gets a late power play chance. There's a shot by Zarnik off the mark, wheels around for Quine. Quine hands off for Phil, bumped up high for Leslie, back over to Zarnik, waits it out near side for Quine, scores! Oh, perfect puck movement, and it's too easy as Alan Quine continues to torment the Barracuda. He's got a power play goal, and there's just 9.3 remaining. Then Stockton's captain, Brian Fraze, would add an insurance goal in the second period at 13.54 with a brilliant backhand finish as he worked around the net and went top shelf on the short side. He'll turn and play one down low. Off of the official in the near side corner. Fraze collects now. Turns, backhand, score! Oh my, from a near impossible angle, Brian Fraze goes top shelf, short side, and the Heat take a 2-0 lead. What a finish there by the veteran Fraze. The Barracuda would end their night 0-4 on the power play, out shooting Stockton in the game 26-22, but Artem Zagadulin was the difference in between the nets for the Heat as he picked up his first American Hockey League shutout in the 2-0 win. On Sunday, the Barracuda turned right back around with another matchup against the Heat at the tank and got off to a strong start as Trevor Carrick found the back of the net in the opening period to give the Barracuda that oh-so-important first goal. 0-for-1 on the power play. Here comes Gregor. Good momentum through neutral. Hands off left-wing side. He's got his man Blickfeld for Carrick stepping into one. He shoots. He scores. Trevor Carrick gives the Barracuda a 1-0 lead as he joins the rush late and snipes one. But in the second, Austin Zarnik, who had two assists on Saturday, he would find the back of the net to even up the score and then give the Heat a 2-1 lead also in the second period, a lead they would not give up. Now Zarnik, San Jose not done though. They're on the penalty kill here. A minute 20, one timer they score. Oh, Kornosh could not get over in time in a distance. One time shot by Zarnik is past Kornosh. It's a power play goal for the Heat. Austin Zarnik has his second of the night. Co-coach Michael Chason spoke to the media following the 2-1 defeat. 
Yeah, we feel like we deserved a better fate. Obviously, you know, you look at the last five, six minutes, I felt like we really drove the play. And, you know, we had the puck in the ozone a lot of times, and we had some looks. And, you know, you, you give a team, you know, under 10 grade A scoring chances and 19 shots against, you know, you feel like you have a pretty good job of coming out with two points at the end of the night. But credit them, they're a good team, they're well coached. Not even, you know, just in the third, but, you know, we had guys step up. You know, VL stepped up. Obviously, Malash stepped up, uh, you know, when uh, Jake Middleton got run, Mids got in there, you know what I mean, after Checo got ran. So, you know, a lot of guys did a good job of, you know, sticking together as, you know, a group of five out there on the ice. And that's what we pride with these guys. You know what I mean? It's got to be a group of five mentality. And, we got to make sure that we do that every night, especially in the first. Yeah, we, we definitely like that. You know, maybe a little bit of a lack, you know, in the second. But I think overall as a whole, there are a lot of positive things that we should be able to take from this and, you know, build off of, you know, for Wednesday's game. I'm Nick Nolenberger, and this has been your Barracuda Weekly Roundup. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cuda Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda AHL affiliate of the NHL San Jose Sharks. Nick Nolenberger here alongside marketing manager Joey Goldstein. Three games over the week as the Barracuda returned back to the tank after a short little road trip. We're coming off a nice win in Tucson in overtime, 5-4. Carried that into Wednesday with a dominating 9-0 victory. Unfortunately, hope that carries through to Saturday with another couple matchups against the Stockton Heat. It did not. San Jose shut out on Saturday, 2-0. And then they played, I thought, one of their more solid 60-minute efforts in terms of a physical standpoint. They were all over the puck. They did really everything you could ask for them to do to try to pick up a win. Unfortunately, it was not to be. They scored the first goal on Sunday and then eventually fell by a score of 2-1. to one. Joe, as unfortunately, you, just can't, you can't make up any ground when you when you go on a little streak. You win two in a row, try to go for three for the first time this year, and then you drop two in a row, and it continues to be the Heat who seem to be, who seem to just uh, every time San Jose gets some momentum, the Heat are on their schedule, and and it, it turns out to kind of extinguish anything they got going. Yeah, well, despite, you know, losing two games of stock this week, and I think there are positives you can take away just going back to those two games in Tucson up to where we are right now. Over those last, you know, five games, the Barracuda are playing much, much better hockey than they were at the beginning of the year. So at, at least things are going in the right direction in that sense. Uh, but you're right, it's it's... You can be going in the right direction, but it all comes down to, you know, the wins and losses at the end of the day, and, and they're not picking up the wins that, that we're hoping to get. But they are playing a lot better, and I think a big part of that, at least it kind of, I didn't watch too much of the Tucson series, but I did, uh, obviously, I was the game was at home when we won a 9 nothing against Ontario, I think. And I'd said it to, uh, it might have been Leon Bergman, who was upstairs with me at the time, and I was, you know, we were talking about the game and how, you know, everything was kind of clicking and playing well. And I kind of told him it seemed like the first time all year that they, the Cuda had that physical edge where, you know, not that they haven't played physical, but that was the first time where it seemed like they were really pushing people around, and Ontario wanted no, no part of it. They wanted no part of it, and they wanted to get on the bus, get back to Ontario. Like, they just... They, they didn't seem to want to push back too much, and that carried over into the Stockton series as well. I thought we were very, very physical, especially on Sunday. Um, but, you know, it's it's just tough when Saturday you get a game where some of the bounces don't go your way, and then on Sunday you just end up running into it. You know, Stockton's just a good team, and as good as you're going to play, sometimes the other teams are just better, and I think that's where where Stockton's at this year, which is different because it hasn't that hasn't been the case over the last four years. Yep, it has been a complete role reversal when it comes to the Northern California rivalry. Again, as Joey kind of mentioned, to look at a positive note, it does feel like the group is playing better. And to just get beat by a goal on Sunday and two goals on Saturday, it, it 
there's no moral victories, but that's an encouraging sign after kind of getting dominated over a two-game stretch against the Heat, getting beat 8-1 on December 27th, and then 4 nothing on December 31st. The Barracuda, of course, picked up that 9 nothing victory. The, the biggest winning margin in franchise history at least matches the biggest winning margin. Of course, they won 9 nothing on March 17th of 2019 against Colorado. They won 9-2 earlier this year down in Ontario. So they have those games where all of a sudden they just explode offensively. Fortunately, you score nine goals, you turn around, you can't score any um, on Saturday, and you lose 2-0. It was the second straight uh, shutout defeat to Stockton. So you get one early on Sunday. You thought you were off to the start you wanted. Um, certainly from a physical standpoint, Carrick gets one on the board. And then a two-goal second period for Stockton was the difference. So they got some really good goaltending from Zagadulin um, over the weekend. San Jose just could not seem to kind of solve that riddle. And uh, the Heat pick up two more wins, and they're now 8-0 against the Barracuda so far in the eight-game season series. Let's move on. Let's look ahead for what's on tap. The Barracuda will wrap up their four-game homestand on Wednesday, and it doesn't get any easier because the Colorado Eagles come to town, an Eagles team that is coming off a loss to Tucson 4-2 at home on Saturday. But prior to that point, had picked up points in 12 straight and had an eight-game winning streak at one point going on during that point streak and have surged up the Pacific Division standings. They're now sitting at the third spot in the division. They are seven points behind, uh, make that um, nine points behind Stockton. So they're still kind of sitting at that third spot. That loss to Tucson hurt them a little bit on Saturday, but uh, looks like they're going to be a team that is going to be postseason bound if they continue this trend. They got healthy up top of their NHL club, and it immediately impacted their AHL team, who has went on a tear ever since that point. So Colorado, San Jose's next opponent, and that'll be on Wednesday night at the Tank. That's a 7 o'clock puck drop. All Wednesday games, of course, are Wednesday walk-up prices, so that's $5 tickets you can get by going directly up to the box office. So two big, big points on the line to wrap up a four-game homestand against the Colorado team in which the Barracuda are 2-2 two and two against this year. Yeah, I, I think the key to Colorado's success has seems to be their goaltending. Their goaltending's been outstanding. Uh, but this is a team that, you know, you saw come in here preseason, and the Barracuda kind of had their way with them. I understand that, you know, preseason rosters aren't necessarily the same as what you see during the regular season, and there's still a lot of guys, you know, missing who are still taking part in camp. But, uh, you know, as, as good as they've been this year, I do think Colorado's a team that we should match up pretty well against. Um, and the key is, is figuring out that goaltending situation which has kind of been our our issue all year right it's you've tried to figure out Stockton's goaltending and then Tucson's goaltending and you know some guys you're able to solve but there's others where you just you just struggle with and if we can get uh get past the, that that big obstacle with Colorado then I think we, we should be all right on Wednesday night yeah um you know Yosef Kornosh returned back to the lineup on Sunday after sitting out the last three because of the way that the, um Shortridge had been playing. He had won his last uh, two straight before the loss on Saturday. So no surprise, kind of an easy decision for the coaching staff to just ride the hot goalie. Thought he played pretty solid, especially in the final period. But you still take the loss. It's his seventh straight defeat. Saw just 19 shots in the game. It was that second period that killed him because mm -hmm. he was really solid in the third. It could have been a different score because uh, at times it felt like you know Stockton had some chances that they could extend their lead. But Kornosh came up with some big saves in the third. Unfortunately, he finds himself on the losing ledger again. Um, so to be determined on who gets a start on Wednesday, we, we expect we'll see both goaltenders this upcoming weekend in Iowa, but mm -hmm. um, still up uh, in the air who gets a start on Wednesday. Yeah, I think you know there's definitely... Uh, there was one goal. I, I might have been. I don't remember if it was the first goal or the second goal on Sunday. But it was one that I think 
Corn Ash would, would like to have back where he came across the crease yep. and he stopped it. But the way he turned his body, instead of turning it and kind of stopping and pushing himself to the corner, he turned himself into the net and the puck just bounced off yep. his chest and went in. So that's one, you know, you definitely want back. And, and I'm sure him and Navi have, you know, gone over positioning and talked a little bit about that. But uh, it was good to see him back in the lineup. But the way Sachenko, you know, played over those last three, it, you you keep you, you kind of have to keep riding the hot hand. Yeah. I think that's the way it's going to be from here on out. Where if a guy's continuing to play well, we're going to start seeing them back to back because we're at the point where we need to win games. Yep. And it's yep. it's not uh, it's we're not in that feeling feeling out process feeling out period anymore where it's trying to see oh well you know, let's give this guy a start and see what he looks like like if, if guy's playing well he's going to be the guy to stay back there. But I do think we'll see both guys this weekend. Uh, I've been impressed with what I've seen from Sachenko so far. I yeah, he's been no, I have since coming too, up from and he looks very confident back there. Yeah. A guy that is not allowed for the moment to get too big for him. This is first in the AHL. I'm going back on that goal that Kornosh allowed. I said the same thing on air. I mean, he got over in time. He didn't completely hug the post. He gave about probably 10 but to I don't, 12 inches. Yeah, but I don't even think he had to. It was just the way he, he turned. He got over there in plenty of time. He read the play appropriately, moving from his left to his right, came down in the butterfly type position. And the shot hit him, I mean, it almost hit him square in the goal stick that was in between his two pads, ramped up, and went into the back of the net. It was a save. I mean, certainly, I'm sure he was kicking himself that it got past yeah. him. But it's just kind of the way things have gone so far for Yosef this year um, after really a, a great rookie season. We see that from time to time. A really young goaltender at this point. He's only 22 years of age. Last year was his f- first full stint as, as a pro getting a lot of playing time because he had went back to the Czech Republic and didn't play a ton. Before that, the Sharks signed him out of the U.S. SHL. So um, coming into this year, the expectations were high. I think everybody, you know, just looking at his numbers, recognizing that he's taken a bit of a regression in his game. That doesn't mean that, you know, he can't get back to where he's at. You see it constantly with guys in that second year. You know, it's hard to come back. You, you learn the habits and learn different things about your game. And, you know, it's, it just hasn't gone his way this year. Yeah. And it, you could say that not just for goaltenders. Granted, goaltenders generally develop a little bit later uh, than other, you know, your forwards and defensemen anyways. So he still has a little ways to go. But it, this reminds me of, we saw it in Worcester uh, a couple of years back with a guy like Dylan DeMello. DeMello was a very young prospect. I think he started the same around the same time Coronash did where he was 20, 21 years old. And uh, the last, I think it might've been the last season we were in Worcester, uh, it seemed like he was getting a lot of grief from you know some of the fans about you know the way he played and and some of the things he was doing. But what people forgot to realize or is that you know he's only 21. Yeah. So there's still a lot of time for him to kind of come into his own. Now he's an everyday defenseman. You know he's a top four guy in Ottawa and and he was a consistent guy here as well. So um, you don't want to rush to judgment on a lot of these young guys, especially when they are in that 20, 21, 22 years old you know age range. Uh, Coronash, I mean, he's. We've seen what he's capable of. And I think the more and more he plays, you know, you get through this sophomore slump, as many people call it, he'll be fine. And I think he's still somebody that the Sharks can look forward to as being a, you know, potentially a goaltender of the future. Yeah, definitely, definitely not uh, not uh, giving up on the guy by any means. But you know, it, it happens with the young player. Mm-hmm. I think that using Dylan Demello as an example is a, is a great point because. You know, you're a young player, you've got to not only learn how to play the position night in and night out, but also deal with the, the mental, you know, flows that, that go along with having a lot of success and then having struggles. You know, you've got to be able to deal with both of them, try to become an even keel type of player, especially at that position. And a cold streak, you get 
gotta look at it too. Cold streaks not the end of the world. Guys go through cold streaks in the AHL. Guys yep. go through cold streaks in the NHL. Where, wherever you look, guys are always gonna go through a little bit of a slump, and at some point, it's just a matter of how you you bounce back and get out of it. And I think, I, I mean, I, there's nobody I look at on this roster that I can say, oh, if they fall into a slump, where you know we're in trouble. At some point, they're gonna break out yep, of it. Definitely. You know? I mean, there's there's guys who are still in a slump who. I think I've started to find their game as of late, so it's only a matter of time before things start to click for them. So, you know, it's it's easy to, to you know, to press the panic button yeah. and kind of freak out mm-hmm. a little bit, but I, I, I don't think that there's a, a true need for that at this point. No, you know, and that goes that goes back to it as well. It's just, you know, learning the different, you know, things that happen in your career. And you allow for a guy like Kordash, he can go through the, these, these ebbs and flows in his game because he's still in the development process. He's still at the AHL, so... You know, he's not dealing with uh, with it at the NHL, which is a good thing. So um, let's look ahead again. Um, we, we've got Colorado on Wednesday. That wraps up the four-game homestand. Then you hit the road and you go outside of the division for the first time this year as you take on the Iowa Wild, a team that San Jose faced last year as well for the first time since a couple of years in which they had faced him last year. The Barracuda against the Wild, 2-2 two and two record against Iowa. They went 1-1 one and one out at the Wells Fargo Arena. This will mark the first of four meetings on the season series and the first of two over the weekend out in Des Moines. We're expecting lots and lots of weather. Oh, joy. So we'll get some <laughs> hockey weather out there. Hopefully um, we can get in there on time and there won't be any issues in terms of a, a travel standpoint. But um, you look at this Iowa team, um, they really are uh, paced by two players. And that's Sam Annis and Gerald Mayhew. Mayhew leading the HL right now with uh, 24 goals. He's fourth uh, in points with 39. Uh, Sam Annis, he's uh, sitting at second in um, points and second in assists. He's got 12 goals, 28 assists, good for 41 points. So they've got two guys who have really been driving, um, driving the bus for that group. And then Brandon um, Minnell is also a guy who's chipped in as a defenseman he's tied for fifth among blue liners so you've got three guys and then I always look at the goaltending position as well because they've got a highly touted goaltending prospect um, with the Iowa Wild who we saw last year in Capo Kakinen who's 13-4-1 two shutouts on the season he's got a 2.64 GAA on the season, a 902 save percentage. He was very, very good last year as a rookie. I think he's gotten some action up top this year in the NHL mm-hmm. as well. His first stint up with the big club. Um, but he's a highly touted prospect for um, the Minnesota Wild. And I remember last year they were talking about him and it. They hadn't invested a lot in the goaltending position from a draft standpoint in a really long time. They didn't really have a, a highly touted prospect at that position for a really long time. Um, but this is the guy. This is the guy they look to in the next couple of years is making the leap and being a number one at the NHL level. So um, you, Iowa coming in, they're sitting the second spot in that central division. They're 21-13-3-2. That's a 6-0-3 winning percentage, and they're 7-2-1 over their last 10 games. Um, a team that's at plus three in terms of goal differential. They're right in the middle of the pack in the AHL in terms of goals scored and goals against. So um, not a lot that you can take from from that. But they do have some high-end forwards. Um, They've got some production uh, chipping in from the back end. And then um, they've got some really solid goaltending. We saw them again last year. Can't take a full stock in that. But you can certainly uh, have an idea what this team's about. But a well-coached and a well-run um, group in Iowa. And that's a good uh, American League organization right there that always seems to be um, 
be competing last year. They got in the playoffs for the first time, I think, in six years. Mm -hmm. But um, that's always a good group. So it will be a big test this upcoming weekend, going on the road, going outside the division. But i got to say, Joe, I'm excited to see a, a different team. It's been a while. We've just been playing the same group of uh, teams in the Pacific uh, to start this year. So it would be good to get outside the division and, and get on the road again. I think everybody's excited about it. And I think the players are, the coaches are. It's, you know, it, it's not that we dislike the teams that we play but we do see them so often that it's you, know, you want to change the pace after a while and like you said they are Iowa's a, a top-notch organization both on and off the ice they mm -hmm. seem to do everything very very well uh, they are returning a lot of guys uh, Kakanen and, and Mayhew and, and Sam Annas and, and guys like that but they've got a couple rookies too who've shined a bit they're backup goaltender uh, Matt Robson he, he's only um, you know, he's seven 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 and four and one or whatever it is uh, but his GAA is under three save percentage is over 900 and he's a rookie coming out of Minnesota who played very very well last year he was one of the best goalies in the Big Ten uh, and they've also got um, a top end pick in I think it's Nico Sturm uh, who I believe was a, a first round pick fairly highly touted or not a maybe not a first round pick but he was one of the those uh Undrafted guys out of college. He's one of the better college players in the country last year, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because I remember watching him come tournament time. Uh, and he's a guy who's who's kind of up on them, up in their higher ranks in points. Uh, and then Kyle Rao as well has got 25 assists, I think, which should put him in the upper echelon uh, as far as the American Hockey League goes. So they got a lot of guys who make plays, a lot of skilled guys, and, and they, uh, you know, luckily for us, it is a lot of the same same people we saw last year coming in here. But they are a good team and. You know, it's, I, it's, it's, we see so many other teams over and over again that it's tough to really put a judgment on how good Iowa is going to be but uh, and how well we're going to stack up. But we've seen what this Barracuda team's capable of. At times, they flash brilliance. So hopefully we can go in there and play two good games and come away with four points. Yeah, and it's always a fun building to go to as well. It holds over 16,000. They've got their G League team there as well. They actually have played some preseason NHL games there. I think mm -hmm. they had the Wild. And yeah, the they St. play one, one every year they play. Um, and, and that always sells out. So it's a pretty good barn, always a good atmosphere. And um, a quick uh, quick note, you know, the uh, Iowa Barnstormers. The Barnstormers, I believe, is the name, the indoor football team. You know, that's where Kurt Warner got his start, in indoor football. Oh, look at you oh, with yeah, your fun yeah, facts. Yeah, I saw the helmets last year. They've got the little goggle um, uh, decal that, that wraps on the helmet. That's kind of, like, hard to forget when you think of Kurt Warner in his, in his early days. But, yes, there's a little fun fact for you. Um, they've had some other teams there in Iowa as well. I think they had the Iowa Stars at one point, which were the AHL affiliated to the Dallas Stars. They've had the Iowa Chops. Um, they've got uh, USHL hockey team out there, um, the uh, Des Moines Buccaneers. So they've got mm -hmm. a, it's quite a hockey rich uh, environment. In, oh, people go nuts for yeah, it out there. I mean, we it. we were out there not too long ago for um, for AHL meetings, and people love their hockey. I mean, obviously they love their football, but mm -hmm. football season's over. Yeah, everything shifts to watching hockey out there. Yeah. They're close enough to Minnesota, and they're they're in that kind of you get a lot of Chicago people in that area too. So it's a lot of, a lot of hockey fans. And uh, like I said, they do well both on and off the ice. They great promotions. They do great marketing, and, and they sell a lot of tickets. They sell a lot of sponsorships. They're always one of those teams when we're at the meetings over the summer who, you know, they, they're the ones that give presentations and, and talk about their success and what's working for them. Uh, but it all starts with what happens on the ice. So success on the ice leads to success everywhere else in the business. Yep, definitely. So um, we won't wait any longer. We'll uh, 
reintroduced our guest. Uh, John McCarthy joined us last week, so we will play the second part of that conversation with newly appointed coach John McCarthy, former captain. Um, and uh, so we'll throw it back to that conversation with J-Mac. What was that like? You you know, you work kind of on a year-to-year basis. Mm-hmm. I know you have a great relationship with Joe Will. It's evident with the fact that uh, he brought you aboard on the coach's side. But from an athletic standpoint, you go into every offseason not knowing what your future holds, not knowing if you're going to continue to play. You know, what was your mentality going into off-season training? Was it always like, I've got something to prove every year? What, what was it like? I mean, luckily, the last couple of years, I, I had gotten the deal done, you know, towards, you know, right after the season. And, uh, you know, so I, I went into summer training knowing I had a deal and I had something to work out for. But, yeah, I think, I think you know, there were there was a couple of years where it took a little while and you know I, I my mindset was like that you know that stuff needs to take I have no you know control over that so I'm just going to work out hard and get myself ready and uh, hopefully it works out and if it doesn't you know I didn't it couldn't hurt to get in you know that uh, the playing shape I guess you could call it but yeah I think I think uh, uh, throughout my career I would say you know uh, something I learned was that you you want to worry about things you can control and you know things that you can't it's not really worth worrying about because it, at the end of the day you can't really do anything to change it so um, yeah that that's kind of the outlook I had on that and you know not to dive too much into you know the the personal side of contracts but at this point you're here near the the end you were negotiating them essentially for yourself right mm-hmm, so yeah. you know you didn't have the impact of an agent so mm-hmm. i'm sure you learned some stuff about that side of it that may have helped you with kind of your decision into coaching and maybe down the line on how you negotiate kind of a structure of a coaching situation as well yeah absolutely you know i um like you said i um my agent and i he he had you know kind of uh he had a bunch of clients at one point and he, he was just kind of seeing them through like he wasn't taking any new clients and I actually ended up being the last one. So, you know, when it, when it came time and as you said, Joe Will and I have had a great relationship for a long time and, you know, it's uh, the last one I went through my agent. I'm kind of, and he did a great job. My agent did a great job, but in my head, I'm just like, well, I mean, this is, I, I, I'm talking to one team here, you know, it's uh, not, it was almost a situation where I was either coming back here or I was, I was gonna, you know, move on and do something else. So, you know, I, I, ta- I had a good conversation with my agent and it was like, listen, I, I think, you know, I can handle this. And he was completely supportive, completely. He, he was a, a um, lawyer at a law firm as well. He was just kind of seeing me through almost as a favor. So I think he was honestly happy to get me off his, <laughs> off his plate. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a good experience. It was you know, like you said, kind of seeing something from a different side of you know, different point of view, and giving me experience that you know, who knows what could happen. You know, it's just something that that you learn learn a lot about, and uh, you know, it's just something that is never going to hurt you to have that experience. You've been talking a lot, and you said you you took some time to talk with you know people that were close to you and people in the hockey world, but uh, and I kind of talked to you a little bit about it. But once we once the announcement kind of came out, the that outpouring of support was I mean it was it was unbelievable I think it probably at times could have been overwhelming I mean you had obviously at BU and former players and analysts and I mean just coaches former trainers who anyone who you could possibly think of kind of reached out what was you know what was that like I mean I'm sure your phone was ringing getting messages pretty much for I would assume probably 48 hours if not more than that straight so I mean what was that like and 
Yeah. Who were some of the people that you heard from? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, you know, it just kind of speaks to how tight the hockey community is because, you know, I was getting messages and texts from, from guys that I've played against for a long time, but I didn't even know on a personal level. But, you know, it's kind of funny how that works. Is It's such a big community but at the same time it's so small because if you don't know someone personally you know someone that knows that person and you can get their phone number and so I got a lot of messages from you know guys that still play you know guys in our division uh, you know that uh, were nice enough to reach out and it really means a lot because I have a ton of respect for for you know a lot of the guys that I play against for a long time and so to to hear from them and and you know have them uh, you know take take the time out of their day to shoot me a message uh, you know it means a lot and uh it uh, it goes a long way with me, and uh, even you know as we're kind of seeing every team for the first time, you know one or two guys that I've played a long time. You know as I'm walking off, they'll come over and you know say you know sorry about what happened and congrats you know on a career. And and it's the same thing. Like I just I have a lot of respect for that because it's not an easy thing to do to step out of their comfort zone like mm-hmm. that, and and to do that for me, you know it means a lot. And uh, you know I. Uh, I'll always be grateful for that. And as far as, you know, people from from my past reaching out and, you know, BU and, you know, it was cool. It was really cool to see that, you know, people kind of feel for the situation a little bit. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a tough, tough way to end after playing for, you know, 10 and 10 and change years. You know, it's uh, something like we were talking about. It's something that I couldn't really control and just kind of happened to me. And that's life. And, you know, I think, uh like I was talking about before, you can't really, I didn't really have any control over it. And, but you know, what I can control is how I react to it. And, uh, you know, the sharks have helped me with that. And, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been the outpouring of support and, uh, you know, uh, people reaching out has been really cool. You know, when I think the stats say when you're drafted in the seventh round or after, I mean, there's, you know, or undrafted, you know, the, the likelihood of making the NHL and playing over 50 games, I think, is under, you know, 10%, under mm-hmm. 8%. So, mm-hmm. you know, as you look back on your career as a later round pick, as a guy who played 11 pro seasons, you played in the Olympics, you got up to the NHL, played in 88 games. Um, I'm sure you won't reflect now. You reflect probably down the line, especially when you're, you know, maybe telling your kids or your grandkids. But, you know, what do you think your, your legacy will be and, Clearly, by the way that people have reacted, um, you know, you've impacted a lot of people over your career. So um, how do you look back uh, on your career after, you know, 11 seasons? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hope, well, I hope, you know, I, I've come across as a guy that cares, you know, that cares about the game, that cares about his teammates, because um, I do. You know, I think that's that's what drove me to play for, you know, the period of time that I did is, uh, you know, being in the locker room with those guys it's it's not really like anything else you know you you become close with these guys and you you know you you want the best for them and you know a lot of times you're willing to do whatever it takes to kind of protect them and to you know show them show them how to be pros and uh you know that's uh something that <clears throat> I you know prided myself on so I hope I hope I came across that way um and as far as you know the experience hockey has given me you know I'll I'll be forever grateful for everything hockey's given me you know it it, uh allowed me to achieve a a childhood dream of playing in the NHL I think every little kid that's playing hockey growing up is that's their dream and uh you know I was lucky enough to to be able to do that and uh you know that's a pretty cool thing and and the other thing that I would touch on is the Olympics you know that's and the Sharks were instrumental in getting me there there was a 
kind of a, a backdoor connection that the Sharks had with the, the people that were selecting that team and they went to bat for me and uh, you know I, I was selected to the team and you know that's not lost on me that they did that for me and uh, I owe a lot to them and uh, the Olympic experience was you know unlike anything I've ever had in my life and it was great for myself great for my family and uh, you know my now wife um, you know that was uh, something we'll never forget and uh, that's something we'll have forever so um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm beyond grateful to sport of hockey for everything it's given me you spent you know pretty much 90% of your career you know underneath Roy Sommer who's got a long long history in the American Hockey League and just coaching in general but between Roy or maybe other guys you've come across who are now coaching has anybody really given you any real advice coming into this new role as a coach that's maybe kind of stuck with you that you're trying to bring along yeah I, I, a lot of people have you know that's the other thing that happened when people heard that I was going into coaching you know a lot of my former coaches or former players that I played with who are now coaching have reached out and you know said you know hey listen if you got any questions or you know anything at all you know feel free to feel free to reach out and you know that means a lot too but uh yeah as far as Roy's yeah Roy's advice it's or or what I took away from from playing from for Roy um is like I said before is showing up every night and uh you know just uh practicing hard and, and competing in practice and uh, that leads to success in games and that's something that I'm trying to bring to to these guys is you know it's uh, I know practice can get monotonous at times and and uh, there are days where you don't feel like being there like plain and simple but you know you, you got to remember that there are, there are a long line of people that would kill to be in your shoes to be able to get paid to play hockey and you know I think it's on you to to bring that competition every day um, you know, to get better and, and hopefully make it to the NHL. This is my last question for you. I, I figure we'll probably get you on again at some point because I feel like we could talk for for hours. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, going into the coaching thing, it's so early in your career, but um, maybe as you do a little bit of, you know, foreshadowing, looking ahead, um, do you see yourself in kind of uh, on the developmental side? You know, you're working with prospects, trying to get guys to the next level, trying to have them fulfill their, you know, dreams of playing in the NHL. Um, did you ever envision yourself maybe going to the college ranks or is it always, you know, from a developmental standpoint or any any looking ahead and, uh, on that side of things? Yeah, you know, I haven't really looked ahead. You know, I, I love being here. I love the organization. They've been great to me. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm focused on doing what I can do to help them right now. And, and I think right now that's, you know, there was a, you know, a spot available on the coaching staff. And, and, you know, I think it was, you know, as of right now, that's kind of where I can help. And so I, I went in head first because, you know, they've done that for me and, and I'll always, you know, do whatever I can for them um, because of all they've done for me. So uh, as far as, you know, role moving forward, I, I, to be honest with you, I haven't really thought about it that much. I'm enjoying the, you know, the being on the bench and being an everyday coach right now. I'm still learning as I touched on earlier, but you know, I'm enjoying it. And uh, you know, in the American league, it's, it's almost like I'm a, you know, all three of us are coaches, but uh, you know, we're, we're part development coach as well, because the, the whole point of this league is to develop talent for the Sharks. So, you know, we're, we're taking things from the Sharks and preaching them to the kids or guys and, uh, you know, trying to get them to, you know, install these things in their game so that they are able to make the jump and, and, uh, contribute at the, at the Sharks level. And, and just to see, like I was at, we go to all the Sharks home games now and, and we were there when Calman, uh, scored his goal so 
I think, was that at home? Yep. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were there. Yeah. So, you know, that's a cool feeling to see some, a guy like that that came in. He worked hard. He didn't get the first few call-ups and he didn't let it bother him. And he said, you know what, I'm going to get there no matter what. And he didn't complain. He played his game. And to see him get the, get the call-up and have a goal, a big goal like that, and have the, the place go nuts for him, like, that's cool. That's cool to me. Like, I like seeing stuff like that now. My last one. So I talked about some of the challenges with the new role with maybe the computer side of it being the, <laughs> the trickiest. But what's, I guess, of, of all the things that you, you know, you're taking on now, what's what excites you the most about this role and what are you looking forward to? Yeah, um, I think the most exciting thing is, is the opportunities that there are this year, you know. Um, Going into training camp, you know, the Sharks had actually had a couple spots available for young guys, you know, and that's, you know, something that I've been, you know, that, that would be 11 training camps that I never really seen before. Almost every year training camp, the team's pretty much set and, you know, there's, there's, you're basically playing for call-ups. But this year there was a couple spots available for guys, younger guys, to go in and grab those spots. And I think that's, that's exciting for someone at our level and, you know, hopefully exciting for the guys that are in contention for those spots I think you know I'm excited about that I'm excited for the for the opportunity um for the for the guys and and you know I I just want to I want to make sure that they're ready when that opportunity comes and I think that's through kind of a daily routine and instilling you know professionalism and showing up at the rink you know early every day and getting into you know getting their stretches done getting their workout done getting their video done going on the ice for practice going through in a business-like mentality um, those are the things that I think lead to success at the next level and uh, those are the things I'm trying to instill in them well good stuff man we can't uh, thank you enough we're excited about uh, the season as we continue along in your new role and now, hopefully we'll get you back on here at the end of the year when your season yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, again, man, congratulations on the new venture. We're happy that you're still here. And uh, let's get some wins, man. Let's All make right. A push. Let's do it. All right, Might so as well. Good. Thanks, man. Thanks, Appreciate man. it. Thank you. So again, thank you to John McCarthy. He joined us last week. Really insightful, really honest. He didn't hold back on uh, what happened to him. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people I'm sure who would be embarrassed by it. He said it's not an embarrassing situation. Could have happened to anybody. Um, it's the same injury that Teddy Bruschi had. Um, his situation, his age, and everything that went into it after thinking about it for a while, he just elected it was probably best for him to call it a career. And you know, we uh, we commend him for that. Certainly, and happy to have him on the staff now from a coaching standpoint. Just such a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, always so easy going. So happy to have him on the on the podcast and get him on as early as uh, we were able to get him on um, after everything kind of came uh, out and the news broke uh, about his uh, new venture in the, in the coaching world. So yeah, it, I mean, it's you know, deciding to call it quits is is never an easy thing to do, uh, especially when you you know, for a guy like John, like hockey's has been his entire life. So to kind of you know, have that realization that you, that you know, time's up is is definitely a tough thing to come to grips with. But he did, you know, he he talked about speaking with you know people that he trusted, obviously family, friends, and and other people in the hockey world. And you know, this this was the right decision. I think the Sharks organization, especially the Barracuda, are, are very fortunate to you know have him in the position that he's in, where he's going to stick around and help on the coaching staff because he is such a big piece for this team, whether he's playing or not. Um, he's someone that all these guys look up to. He's a huge part of their development and teaching them how to be a pro and how to handle themselves. Um, and obviously, you know, he's got some some good mentors here and in Roy and, and Jimmy and, and Mike to kind of help push him along. But 
John also talked about, there's other guys that he's played with in the past who have moved on to coaching roles and they've even reached out. So there's a lot of guys who there's a big support system that hockey community is, it's a big community, but it's very tight knit. Everybody has connections with everybody. And he alluded to it a little bit, how he had guys reaching out to him who you know, got his number through somebody else. And I've seen it after games where guys who we haven't played yet, uh, will you know, will come up and, you know, say something to him post game or, or pregame even. Uh, so everybody is, you know, you got your rivalries and things like that, but everybody's fairly close knit and they all want to, you know, support each other as much as they can. So, uh, definitely good for us that, that John's going to be sticking around, hopefully, uh, not just this season, but the future seasons as well. Definitely. So, uh, Friday kicks off a three game road trip that goes to Iowa and finishes up on Wednesday in Bakersfield. We had a great uh, promotional night the other uh, night with the specialty jerseys that were designed by Keith Middleton, the Bobblehead giveaway, Jake Middleton and John McCarthy, a great crowd on hand and we expect another great crowd when the Barracuda return back home that'll be Saturday January 25th the 7 o'clock puck drop a nice 7 o'clock start on a Saturday yeah it's our only Saturday 7 o'clock wow. game of the year which is awesome yeah it's great we we uh the afternoon games are great but it is nice to play at night and it's our fifth anniversary celebration as well have uh, again specialty jerseys and a t-shirt giveaway with the uh, fifth anniversary logo on the chest to the first four thousand fans so um as you look at the promotional schedule that continues to uh chug along and a lot of good things still on tap i mean we've still got chiro night we've got another bobblehead giveaway we mentioned uh the upcoming one in the fifth anniversary we've got another kuda classroom day we got kuda country night which i can't wait for because those bobbleheads are awesome um so lots of fun stuff and if you don't know the full schedule um go to sjbarracuda.com slash promotions again the barracuda will be back home at the end of the month and it'll be the final game at home in january because after that we've got all star breaks so mm-hmm. um the 25th fifth anniversary celebration anything else joe you want to throw in there before we sign off here not really i think you covered it i mean that's the, like you said that's the next big uh big promo we have coming up we do have some really cool ones coming up really the rest of the year but that's the that's the next big one the jerseys are going to be really cool another black jersey which our fans seem to love uh we had a lot of people calling for those player creation jerseys to be our our new alternate and replace the orange which uh i i won't say whether or not i agree or disagree but i i am a fan of the orange but i also do love the black jerseys and i think they did look real sharp yeah they look uh, good but i think people are going to like the ones we have uh for the end of the month as well with that fifth anniversary logo and kind of a, a two-tone teal look fans look at a t-shirt as well like a fifth anniversary t-shirt so lots of cool stuff and uh, lots of things to be excited about we're gonna have some cool stuff going on in that game too some surprises as well which i don't want to give away but um some fun things so good stuff again we will uh, be back uh Back on the airwaves from a radio standpoint tomorrow night at 6.45 for our pregame coverage as the Barracuda wrap up their four-game homestand against the Red Hot Colorado Eagles. So we'll talk to everybody then. We again thank everybody for tuning in for another episode of Cuda Confidential. For Joey Goldstein, I'm Nick Nolenberger signing off. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you all soon. Go Cuda. Go Cuda.